0: While some grab the microphone to talk about election reform, State Representative Seth Grove grabs the pen and fixes it. Joining me today on Conversations with Clint, we have again State Representative Seth Grove from York County here to talk about election reform, House Bill 1800, and redistricting. All right, we are joined again by State Representative Seth Grove, York County. Seth, you are a regular on our podcast, and I really do appreciate you taking a few minutes here to jump on the phone and talk about election reform and redistricting. How are you doing today? Good. Always great to join
1: you and have these uh, great discussions on all the important things that's happening in
0: Harrisburg well let's jump right into it so we did house bill 1300 election reform governor vetoes that then all of a sudden has a change of heart on um, specifically around voter id and so here we are we're we're working on house bill 1800 again talk about some of the differences in the two bills specifically
1: so it was really interesting. It was about four months ago, uh, right around this time, that Governor Wolf, after vetoing House Bill 1300, said, "You know, I'm comfortable with doing something on voter ID if it had a something had like an affidavit people just had to sign, which actually in the bill he vetoed." So after that, we we decided, you know. We were just going to go with a constitutional amendment that bypasses the administration, take our case directly to the voters. But since he was open, uh, we decided to do both. Uh, we reintroduced House Bill 1800, the Pennsylvania Voting Rights Protection Act. Generally, the very same concepts completely. What was really interesting when we're doing 1300 on second consideration, which is when we do amendments in the House, Representative Jared Solomon, Democrat from Philadelphia, had 10 amendments that he offered. We were actually going to accept three of those amendments. Uh, Representative Solomon's very big on modernization because we have an old, outdated uh, election code and we've hit on that numerous times, you know, old King's language, counties requiring lanterns um, at each polling place, whole nine yards. So he had two things that modernized the language and the third one helped counties better recruit poll workers, which is a, a national problem. That's not a Pennsylvania issue. That is a national problem. So we thought those those were, were good things to accept. His, we told his leadership, and the leadership went to him and told him to withdraw all of his amendments. And I went up to him, like, oh, we're going to accept three of yours. And he, he's like, well, leadership never even mentioned that to me after we told him we would. So word is bond. And in keeping to our word, we included those provisions in the new update. Uh, we also added required training for county DAs on election code, making sure they understand what it entails and the penalties, because we do see issues of lack of prosecution or investigation of election issues in the Commonwealth, so we wanted to make sure that was clear. And then we added provisions for an independent prosecutor at the Attorney General's level, uh, making a Senate confirmation. So th- those are the main changes, nothing earth-shattering. And then it's really interesting because House Bill 1300, basically corrected a lot of election issues we saw in the 2021 primary 2020 general 2019 primary or the 2020 primary uh even the 2019 general election and basically looked at a comprehensive approach of of fixing a lot of issues we've seen year in and year out in our elections we just had an election and (laughs) we had to do an amendment to fix problems we saw in the 2021 general election um Counties not counting ballots. So Representative Tracy Penichok offered an amendment that was adopted um, to make dropouts even more secure, because we saw some some greater issues with those this past election cycle, and then giving counties hard deadlines to get their counts done. Because if we're going to allow the pre-canvassing and let them um, do a lot of work ahead of time, we should have expectation that voters know the end results election night
0: talk about some of the main highlights I mean we talked about the differences and the changes and and Representative Pennycook did a great job especially at the end of her talk on the amendment on the floor where she was just she, she folks don't know she served in the military and really helped out with some of the elections in Afghanistan and her final comment was listen, if we know who wins an election in Afghanistan, you know, the night of the election, there's no reason we shouldn't hear. I thought that was a really great way to put it. But what else, what are some other of the main topics or main highlights that were in the base bill of 1300 that are also in 1800 that folks need to know? I mean, we need to have uniform elections that are fair and free and and equitable across all the the boards. What else is in this bill that, that folks may have forgotten or need to be reminded of? what what the great work is that we're trying to do. Yeah.
1: I think the first thing we did was kind of rewrite a, a lot of the provisions in the election code to say this isn't something that we should draft in an ambiguous way that allows for interpretation. We need to be clear. This is what we mean. This is what how we want things done. So the entire bill is is written in a way that that sets up a like an election manual from statutory law down. Like it is clear when we say signature verifications are required, signature verifications are required. It is a, a shall. This is the process we want to see you do. This is what we want to do. This Here's your expectation. And we expect you to deliver on those expectations. So it, it sets the standard that we're reinserting our role as setting election policy from the state perspective, letting the judiciary know that this is what we mean and we're not looking for interpretations. It is Shall do signature verification, right? Two, it provides uniformity. The laws drafted so counties have to execute elections in a similar manner throughout. Like when you go to vote in Tioga County, the same expectation should be for a voter who votes in, in your county. Same processes, same everything, same expectations. Right now we have non-uniformity. Counties are doing whatever they want whenever they want. To that fact, Lehigh County was just in court yesterday because the Board of Elections decided to illegally count undated ballots. They knew it was wrong. Their solicitor and their elections director told them it was illegal to do that. They still went ahead and did it. So we did the same letter we did to the Philadelphia County Board of Elections in the primary and said, if you don't rescind your votes, we are going to impeach you. So it's a real shame we're in this position. Berks County, we just found out today, one of their school board races, they had pick two when it really was a pick one. So they had two people running. Uh, one lady thought she was a winner because two people ran, and she was in second place. And lo and behold, when she emailed the superintendent, the superintendent said, we don't have another position. It was just one. And that's the county board of elections in Berks County made that screw up. So we, we see it. And a lot of those issues comes down to the timeline. The timeline that we have now asks counties to do multiple things at multiple times instead of having them focus on one task, completing that task, and then moving on to the next task. The redundancy of the current elections timeline we have now doesn't allow counties to focus on proofreading or integrity measures. They're just trying to execute an election with an awful timeline. And then when we talk about security and and integrity, we looked at the entire process and said, you know, let's let's take voter registration. Let's look at the voter registration process. How do we make this more secure moving forward? Because that's really the, the big if you if you illegally get a voter illegally registered a vote, you can now illegally vote and it just looks like a regular vote. That's hard to dissect. So that that's a critical piece. How do we secure mail-in ballots? How do we secure drop boxes? How do we secure, uh, make a better post-election audit process? How do we bring more accountability into the total system? How do we secure in-person voting? Um, so we looked at every single process, dissected, and said, here's some policies we do. So, for example, we learned that the counties don't actually need to validate a voter registration application before they put someone on the rolls. So we go back and say... Before you, and you have to validate the information to make sure they're legal voting age. You have to make sure they're a citizen, and you have to make sure that they're actually at their registered address where they where they say they live in in that precinct.
0: And um, right now, that's being done on the back the 20, end, right? That that a lot of some some right. counties are saying that they're that they're doing that on the back end, but we we don't know that. And why would you let them vote without verifying it ahead of time? That 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 was something that came out in our hearings that I think is crazy. Right, That term of
1: unvalidated ballot,
0: that's nowhere in the
1: election code, but counties let people register to vote without validating it. They let them uh, apply for a absentee ballot without validating it, and they give them a ballot. And then wow. they just hold the ballot on the side until they actually go back and validate it. Just validate it the first time, and you don't have any problems. Right. We make sure signature verification is present on the, the ballots, so we have security to make sure when people actually send in their ballot, it's them sending it in. Uh, and that was something the secretary of state at the time illegally put out guidance that said there's there's no more signature guidance. And she went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled in her favor. I've never seen anything like that. That was a complete manipulation of the system by a unelected bureaucrat. And it's a shame that happened, um, but it did. And it's it's it just goes to show where the Supreme Court and the Wolf administration are. At elections, they want to manipulate it every way, and we found out later that they were manipulating the the Zuckerbucks, the third party funding of elections, and making sure that Democrat counties got an advantage in getting larger sums of money earlier than the rest of the counties. And we fixed uh, that is, in this bill as well. Shame. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We we yep, we stopped that from happening. so we we went through and we we're closing loophole by loophole, you know, making sure we have a transparent system. We have tremendous issues on election night reporting where it's a lot of information, but none of it's helpful. So we make sure the Department of State and all sixty seven counties have the same data and present it similarly throughout the entire night. So you as a candidate, you as a voter, you as a citizen of the United States, because we have important elections that people watch nationally, you know at all times how many ballots there are and where the count is, is going, whether it's in-person, mail and in absentee, provisional, overseas, you know how many ballots are out there, how many are being counted. So we don't have the case that we had this time of people thinking they won, going to bed, and then waking up in the morning saying, oh my gosh, I didn't win, or votes that keep counting because you keep getting ballots in or... Counties are disclosing they have marked ballots over, over a couple of days. And then we make sure those ballots have watermarks, and we make sure they're open to public inspection after the election. Just like Colorado does, it's a best practice. You can get digital copies, or you can go in and look at the hard copies. Now, there have to be someone from the elections office and a sheriff present for that process. But you as a citizen should have the right to look at those things moving forward. So it's, it's a phenomenal bill that, that closes a lot of the loopholes and expands access. That's a big thing, too, because we get sued by disability groups all the time. So helping disabled voters vote was a priority. And we also add stuff like early in-person voting to help uh, alleviate long lines. That is actually the number one disenfranchisement of elections.
0: Well, one thing that we also do is we allow people to drop off their direct family member's ballot if they need to, which is not an election code currently. But Frances Wolfe, the first lady of Pennsylvania, violated that uh, law, uh, didn't she, here uh, in this uh, November election? Yeah. Governor Wolf did a
1: interview on KDKA on Election Day, and they were discussing voting. And the host of the, of the morning show asked Governor Wolf if he's voting today. And he said, you know, I already voted. I do mail-in vote. And uh, my wife dropped off my ballot for me. That's illegal under the election code. That is ballot trafficking. It is a crime in the election code. Carries at least a one year, up to one year in prison and $1,000 fine, if I'm not mistaken. And because Governor Wolf didn't read the election code, didn't read House Bill 1300 that he vetoed, he had no idea that it was illegal for, for your wife to vote for you. Now, I would say that that conversation happens every day in America, right? I mean, we're both married. How often does you run out and your wife says, Hey, can you drop this off? Or, you know, your wife's running out. You know, can you drop this off? Hey, I got some laundry to go to the laundry man I've got. You know, can you drop this off at the post office, FedEx box, whatever? Happens all the time. The problem is when it comes to elections, you can't do that with your ballot. So we do provide a provision in there to allow you to help your spouse vote or a loved one in your family that may not be able to get their ballot in. But we also secure. The drop boxes for that process we have bipartisan teams we have observers it's treated like a polling place has to be videotaped that footage has to be saved for 22 months has to be emptied at the end of the night you can only use drop boxes seven days before the election and it's an emergency i'm not going to be able to mail my ballot in Or you could always return to election office directly as well. And then we limit the numbers to one per 100,000 in a county. We do a lot to enhance the security of those things. And with the uh, new Penny Chuck amendment, if anybody tries to vote more than one ballot or illegally tries to vote multiple ballots, um, those ballots are set aside so it doesn't contaminate the entire lot that's sitting in there because that's why we have some some of the delayed reporting election night because Bucks County, Montgomery County had some sequestered ballots because of that instance that way you can get the bulk of those counts done with a few sequestered on the side.
0: Well, I appreciate your work on this, and and we're gonna go with go with it again. We'll see what happens. I, you know, I know we're trying to engage the Wolf administration to to work on this process. I think that's important. But the other thing that we're working on right now is redistricting. Touch real real quick. We've got a couple of minutes left here. Talk a little bit about um, where we're at in that process and uh, what folks can expect. Uh, the state government committee. We're the ones that are working on the congressional map that is our our duty and our obligation uh, to do that and we're and you've you've led we had the hearings here we've been doing hearings all around the state where are we at in the process give folks a quick update on that Yep. So, um, the General Assembly is in
1: charge of creating the congressional districts and that's done by normal legislative process. So districts are introduced in a bill form, has to go through the entire legislative process in the General Assembly and needs to get signed into law by the governor. The House and Senate state districts are done by a legislative reapportionment commission. That's made up of five people, the four floor leaders, and a fifth that was appointed by the uh, Supreme Court. Two very different processes, both constitutionally designed. So as far as the congressional maps, which which we have to do as, as a body, we completed 12 hearings, eight of which were regional field hear- hearings or gathering input. If you go to www.paredistricting.com, you can actually submit full maps for further review of the committee. You can also design communities of interest and offer general comments on, on what you think the, the map should look like. The creation of maps is open until December 3rd. After that is cut off and we need to go create maps, introduce maps, vote maps out of committee, and then move them, continue moving them through the legislative process. The Department of State has said they would like to see them by the end of January so they can update the shore system for the new map designs to make sure they're ready to go for the 2022 election cycle, specifically the primary elections, and petitions go out mid-February time frame. So we're we we're on a path. It's, it's a bit tighter than we wanted, but the data was severely delayed by the Census Bureau, so we're a little behind in that. But we have a very open, transparent process. We're engaging citizens. So this is the first time we've really done anything this major with maps. And, and um, it's, it's been thus far a lot of work, very enjoyable. And I hope we, we bring a, a level of civility and openness to the entire process.
0: Well, Seth, we appreciate you taking the time to walk us through these two very important issues and uh, appreciate it. I know you have a very busy day today, um, continuing to talk about election reform and a few other things, but we appreciate you taking the time today to talk to us. Anytime. Really appreciate your work on the committee and, uh,
1: you know, your, your input in all this has been very valuable and uh, that your local residents are very blessed to have your leadership.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Seth. That's all the time we have for today. Special thanks to State Representative Seth Grove for taking a few minutes out of his day to join us on Conversations with Clint and continue to to work on election reform. It is so important. And like I said at the beginning, um, you know, it's so easy just to gravitate towards the microphone and, and make a lot of noise on the issue. But State Government Committee and Seth Grove with his leadership, we have really taken the initiative to grab the pen instead and actually draft some changes and work uh, through the process. That's what we as policymakers are here to do. And it really has been an honor to work with Seth on this important project. So that's all we have for today. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and I'm looking forward to Christmas as well. Be safe out there. I know hunting season is going on uh, right now and a lot of folks are out in the woods. So be safe, be prepared, And uh, join us again next week for another edition of Conversations with Clint.